It's episode 596 of the Locked On Texas Rangers podcast. On today's show, I'm breaking down a couple of big comeback Rangers wins, what the heck this offense is doing, and some actual looks at a minor league rehab. All that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Rangers. Your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Texas Rangers. I'm your host, Bryce Patrick, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan since 2010 and in year four hosting this Locked On Rangers podcast. It's Wednesday, May 18th. The Rangers are 16-19, and riding a three-game winning streak of pretty impressive wins, honestly. And they're sitting at third place in the American League West. That's right. Third place in the AOS, they are above the Mariners, who have been scuffling a bit as of late, have played a pretty difficult schedule. But the Rangers are in the middle of a very difficult schedule themselves this week. They have won now two out of three against the Angels, who have been one of the best teams in the American League. have been just absolutely fantastic, and we all know how great the top of their lineup is. And of course, Taylor Ward, the best offensive player on the Angels, has been crushing it. But also they've got, you know, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon, who have been not too shabby themselves so far this year and done quite a bit of damage. But I didn't talk about Monday's episode because I was recording with Grant for Tuesday. I did go out yesterday and go see the 11 o'clock Rough Riders game, the first rehab start of old Mitch Garver. I'll talk a little bit that, about that in the second episode. But right now, the Rangers are absolutely crushing it. They are offensively I have so much more confidence in this team I think part of it might be because the baseball got rejuiced I feel like it was literally like yesterday that that I kind of noticed that okay okay this ball is really jumping out of here like absolutely jumping out of the ballpark there were five home runs in one inning by the Astros against the Red Sox in yesterday's game and yes I know I know I don't like bringing up when the Astros do good things but like it's not just that it's just all around baseball the Dodgers Almost all of their runs, I believe, were scored off of home runs. There's just a crap ton of home runs in yesterday, in yesterday's games, all across Major League Baseball. We made a home run, three of them by, uh, excuse me, just two of them by the Angels. Taylor Ward and Mike Trout had home runs. The Rangers, Corey Seager had one. Cole Calhoun had one. And in Monday's game, maybe it was a little bit earlier as well because Jonah Heim had his fourth home run of the season on Monday's game. But this was a weird game on Monday. Just an absolutely bonkers game really frustrating game for John Gray who's supposed to be the Rangers best pitcher has not been has been injured which has been the case with him for quite a while still a little worried about that knee injury I think he still had the brace on in this one and the first inning was just not what you want it's just not what you want the top of the the Angels order did exactly what they do they were you know they were great they were great because you know it's it's Taylor Ward, Mike Trout, and Shohei Otani. The first four or first three batters all reached base. Otani doubled in uh, Mike Trout or uh, Taylor Ward, and then uh, Brandon Marsh comes in and puts another two runs on the board. And the Rangers are down three nothing before they even step into the box, which was just extremely frustrating. But then the Rangers bottom of the first comes, and this was I, I'd say their best offensive inning of the entire season. 
Eli White starts it off with a single, then steals second base because he is the fastest freaking player in baseball. That is, according to StatCast data, he is in the 100 percentile of sprint speed, literally the fastest. Then Marcus Simeon had an, I believe, 11-pitch walk, just absolutely fighting off every single pitch. Gets on base, Corey Seager comes in and singles home old Eli White. Then Adolis Garcia comes in and doubles, gives the Rangers a... Cuts the lead to two to three. Then Cole Calhoun comes in, sacks fly, sack fly. Jonah Heim reaches on what was a pretty generous fielding error. I hit the absolute crap out of the baseball. Like it had to be at least a hundred plus miles an hour, but for some reason it was called an error on on Walsh. Then Huff comes in and singles another batter home, um, or singles Jonah Heim to third base. Brad Miller walks. Eli White comes in, and the Rangers bat around and get <laughs> an absolute gift. Six runs, and they chased the starter out of the game in the bottom of the first inning. This offense was clicking on every single level. It was quality at bats by every single player in this in this inning. Like nobody was having just phoning it in at bats, and it took the entire team to do this. Like and and the Rangers not hanging their heads, not saying, "Oh no, woe is me! Uh, we can't hit the baseball. Everybody kind of sucks right now offensively." So I guess we're just gonna punt this game. We're giving up three runs in the top of the first inning, and a huge credit to to John Gray. I was about to say Jonah Heim because you know I just default to giving credit to Jonah Heim, who did have his fourth home run in that game. But John Gray came out and absolutely attacked hitters. He only walked one in five and two-thirds innings and struck out eight. That slider was working really, really well, and he did give up eight hits, and he only allowed one more run going forward, but he went and attacked, and that's what you absolutely need to do if your offense saves your butt after a very sorry first inning, and I gave him a lot of credit. That is a veteran thing to do. That is a smart thing. That is the right thing to do, and... He does deserve some credit for doing that. Brock Burke came in to get him out of the jam in the sixth inning and get out of there. Worked an inning in the third, looked great. John King, Joe Barlow came in. No drama in the eighth and ninth innings. And the Angels were not able to get anything else really going in this one. They did get one more run in the fourth inning, but that was it. The Rangers piled on in the seventh inning with a Jonah Heim solo home run just to make it 7-4, and that's all the Rangers would need. Now, in this second game, that I didn't talk about on Tuesday. The Rangers dropped a freaking 10 spot and seven runs in the eighth inning. It might even be better than that first inning because it was the comeback variety. The Rangers went down three to one with three innings dropped in the top of the third inning by the Angels. I was like, all right, again, a freaking again. There were some home runs allowed by Taylor Hearn, uh, two home runs by him, and again, three walks in four innings is an issue. He only struck out two and I felt like he was being a little bit more deliberate at times, but he'd still have innings and batters where he just let the ball get away. There was, I can't remember who exactly it was. I think it might've been Taylor Ward where the ball was just, he was not hitting his spots at all, just missing very badly arm side. And it was really frustrating to watch. He just felt like he could not buy a strike at times. And I'm a little worried about him long-term in the rotation I'm less sold on him as a starter than I was before. I still believe it's in there. He's still got that nasty stuff, and he's still got a lot of greatness in him. But this was a great offensive outing for the Rangers. A three-hit day by Sam Huff, who, by the way, had his first Major League stolen base. Absolutely love that for a guy who's 6'5", 250 or something like that. 
<laughs> Very nice to see Adoles Garcia, another multi-hit game. Corey Seager, a multi-hit game, including his eighth home run of the season. He scored in the first inning. And by the way, the Rangers, since the game that I went to, I'm claiming that is the turning point of when they lost in a just kind of stinker of a game to the Braves. The Rangers have played in 15 games since then. They are 10-5 and five at that point, and the key has been scoring early. That has been a huge key for the Rangers. In all but two of those 10 wins, the Rangers have scored at least one run in the first, and the only times they didn't were on May 4th when the Rangers won 2-1 to one in 10 innings because of a Brad Miller 10th inning uh, single against Philadelphia and in the comeback win against the Yankees in that doubleheader, the only one that the Rangers won in the Bronx. So it has been very important to the Rangers to start early and to get hits and get runs early. And Corey Seager has been a big part of that. Come out, we're going to look at how amazing he has been during this homestand, talk a little bit more about what I saw on Tuesday. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. With spring in the air, it's time for renewal and growth personally and professionally. As your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn. Jobs reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. They've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know nearly every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free on linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb. That's linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you all so much for making Lockdown Rangers your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, just go check out the Locked On Now podcast. Recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts. Taking fans through the season like no other network. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, one of the keys for the Rangers has been starting early. And Corey Seager is in the top of the Rangers lineup. And he's been doing that very, very well. Also, Eli White has also been doing that pretty stinking well at this point. Marcus Simeon, not so much. I- I'm starting to worry about Marcus Simeon. I'm going to talk more about, I'm going to wait for once he hits 150 plate appearances. I'll talk later on in an episode, go in depth as to why I'm actually starting to get concerned about Marcus Simeon. And of course, probably as soon as I do that, he'll turn it around. But at this point, I am not worried about Corey Seager, who has been absolutely amazing on this eight game homestand so far. And hopefully he can punctuate it with a nice, uh, nice game in this series finale against the Angels before the Rangers go on the road against the Houston Astros. But through eight games, 33 plate appearances in this homestand, he's got a slash line of 286, 394, slugging 750 with four home runs and one double. In May, his slash line, well, his batting average, again, like most of everybody else, does not look great at 220, but his on base is 339 and slugging 480. That is an 819 OPS at this point in the month of May for Corey Seager. He's starting to look more like the Seager that the Rangers knew and liked and paid a lot of money for. And that has been a huge key for the Rangers, including Cole Calhoun, who again, Cole Calhoun in the whole month of May has been amazing. The last, let's look at the month of May and how well he has done in 41 uh, at bats so far. He's got a slash line of 317 on base 370, slugging 683 with four home runs at this point has been crushing it. When you look at the last seven games, the last seven games have been unreal for him. 
He's got a batting average of 417, on base 464, and slugging 917. 917! Three dangers in his last seven games. Also, uh, I believe at least one double, if not a couple. He has been destroying baseballs because finally it seems like the changes that the Rangers wanted him to make after a horrendous, absolutely horrendous first month of the season. It's looking like it's a great idea that the Rangers did not cut bait on him after one horrendous month because he is a stalwart of this lineup, a huge part of it. And Adoles Garcia is also a big part of this lineup. He has been hitting the ball just as hard as anybody in baseball. He is you know, I still want to see him swing a little bit less. I still want to see him chase a little bit less and walk a little bit more. Those numbers haven't improved quite as much as I would have liked them to. But the defense, again, he made a couple of amazing shoestring catches against the Angels. The advanced numbers around his defense aren't as kind. He's made a little more, a few more, you know, just kind of mental errors that I didn't really see him make that much last year. Just, just a couple of little, like, I don't know goofy mistakes but again the incredible defensive plays the highlight real plays the ones that take the most elite of elite athlete which he is those are still there and coming and for the most part it's he's been a very very good defensive outfielder despite what some of the advanced numbers say but his average exit velocity is in the top five percent of baseball same with his hard hit percentage um he's barreling up pitches in the top quarter of baseball expected slugging is in the top quarter of baseball like his expected woba is in the top half of baseball he has been doing really great at that but his his k rate his chase rate and his whiff rate all of those are in the bottom 15 percent of baseball his walk rate it's in the 30th percentile so that's improvement he has made improvement. I think it's about 2% higher than it was last year at this point. Yeah, uh, no, not not quite 2. But he's walking at a 6.3% rate, whereas last year he had a 5.1% rate. K rate's down like half a percent. It's not, it's not that big a deal. But he is walking a little bit more, and you know he's chasing just a little bit less, not much. I still want to see that improve just a little bit. I mean, even with those numbers, he's still putting up numbers that are fantastic. Like, he's still hitting the absolute crap out of the baseball. He would get a lot more pitches to hit the crap out of the baseball if he would stop expanding the zone so much. But it's fine. It's fine. He's still a very valuable player at this point. One of the, I believe he's top five. No, not quite. Yeah, yeah he is. 0.7 war. Um, so he is the fifth most valuable Texas Rangers player at this point, just behind Brock Burke, Martin Perez, Jonah Heim, and Corey Seager. Now, let's look a little bit, talk a little bit about Zach Kent, my first look at him, Mitch Garver, how he is done, and uh, what's going to happen when the Rangers call him up, uh, or I guess get him off the injured list, and what I think the Rangers roster should look like at that point. But first, I want to talk to y'all about Built Bar. That's right. Built Bar has a new flavor. It's called the Birthday Cake Puff. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting, then opening your eyes and realizing that was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That's what it's like to eat the Birthday Cake Puff from Built. They just sent us a whole box of these Built, Built Puffs. They are absolutely fantastic. They literally taste like you're eating frosting, but they're somehow a protein bar and they're somehow really good for you. I don't know how they do it. 
Like, I really don't. They are absolute food magicians. All Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy it. They are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently, provides tons of healthy benefits. So go to Built.com to get a per- birthday cake puff now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Now, on Tuesday, one of the fun things about working nights that you can just randomly pop off to an 11 a.m. baseball game in Frisco, which, again, I think they need to have more of. It'll be a while before they have another 11 a.m. start game that I can just pop off randomly to. But I did get to see my first look at Zach Kent in person pitching, not just talking to him at a media day, but seeing him actually pitched. And I got to tell you, the slider is just as good as advertised. It is absolutely disgusting. He has a pretty good command of it. But the rest of his pitches, it was not a great day for him. He, again, walked quite a bit. He wasn't as erratic as some of his walk numbers make him look like. But again, he wasn't doing a great job of staying in the zone. He went four and two-thirds innings and walked six, did strike out seven. The slider was really working. He ended up leaving the game with the bases loaded, after striking out a batter on a very, very nasty slider, he maybe he maybe could have gotten the next guy out, but at that point, the Rough Rider skipper just wanted to get him some confidence and let him go out with the last thing he did being throwing that nasty, nasty pitch. He also got a pretty nice changeup that struck out a batter, uh, something that I noticed that looked really, really good against a left-handed batter kind of tailing away from him. I hadn't seen him throw that pitch that much in the game, but when he used it, it was effective, so that was nice. His fastball sat kind of in the low 90s, touched 95. I'm a little concerned if he can't stay in the zone, and it looked like he couldn't really trust any of his other pitches, which is a concern if you're going to be a starter. As great as that slider is, you need to have several other pitches, at least two other pitches to be a legit starter. He might end up in the bullpen, but at at the very least, he's going to be an absolutely disgusting reliever. I still think he can stick as a starter, but he really needs to improve that walk rate, start trusting some of his other pitches, and that would be very, very nice for him. Other prospects that looked really great, I left right before all the great action, all, all the home runs. I missed those because I was trying to get home it was a game that ran long the ranger the rough riders kept getting on base and prolonging at bats which is great and uh they had over uh, they had double digit runs scored in their last couple of games i think they had 16 on sunday and they had 13 in this game i thought okay okay now that mitch garver's had his fourth plate appearance he's not he's not gonna have any more surely the rough riders bottom of the order will just you know be fine and not get any more plate appearances but no but no, Dustin Harris waited until I was gone to bust out a 400-plus-foot home run. And, of course, Ezekiel Duran waited until the eighth inning when I was gone to bust out his home run as well. I was really impressed with his plate appearance, with his plate appearances. Both of those guys, they had a pretty good approach, pretty good command of the zone. Zeke Duran was, you know, came in and there was a lot more concerns that he was kind of raw, kind of erratic, and, you know, just swung at a whole bunch, which, you know, he really didn't. He really didn't swing it a whole bunch. He had a pretty good feel for what was in the zone. Made some pretty nice plays at second base. Uh, Dustin Harris had some moments that were nice in the outfield. He had a couple of good routes. He had one that was uh, circuitous at best. But he did have a pretty good jump on a ball in left field that he dove for. Could not quite make the catch. But again, it was a good read. But he dove so hard that his glove fell off. I don't think I've ever seen that before. 
But again, he is a bat first guy. I have not seen him at third base. I don't know how that's going to play. Might end up being a first baseman. Might be end up being the Rangers' first baseman of the future, or their left fielder of the future. But the bat, the bat plays. It's advanced. And Mitch Garver looked like a big leaguer. Corpus did not want to pitch to him. Their starting pitcher looked like he was kind of scared. He walked in his first couple of plate appearances. The first one, he was able to foul off a couple pitches. Actually, it might have been just one, but it was a full count walk. The second plate appearance, he only swung once. There was only one pitch anywhere kind of near the strike zone. They just did not want anything to him. Pitcher was like, okay, I'm a double-A kid. This is a big leaguer who has won a silver slugger and absolutely mashes the baseball. A little scared. Going to kind of run away from it. But then he swung pretty hard in his next couple of plate appearances. Got a couple of decent swings off. Struck out on a slider down and away. Also grounded the first pitch to third base. Hit it kind of hard. It's going to DH for a while. But the Rangers have some questions of what's going to happen when he is DHing. So if he's going to be the full-time DH, the Rangers have some questions as to what they're going to do with this roster. I don't think Eli White is going down. Eli White has had a couple of great defensive plays. Also, by the way, I don't think I mentioned it yet, but he also had a Little League home run, which might have been my favorite Rangers play of the season. He is the fastest player in baseball. He's making some great defense, great defensive plays all across the outfield, putting together some pretty solid plate appearances at the leadoff spot, got an uh, on base over 350, and as literally the fastest sprint speed player in baseball, if you got an on base of 350 in the leadoff spot that will freaking play, especially with how ridiculously aggressive he's been on the bases. He's pretty much solidified his role here. I thought he and Nick Solak were going to be competing, and it seems like they are, and right now Nick Solak is not doing well. The advanced numbers uh, for Eli White, his, his outfielder jump is in the top 10% of baseball, uh, outs above average in the top 20%, max exit velocity, bottom 9%. That's not great, but Solak's numbers, they're all about average. Even when you look at what he's doing against left-handed pitching, it's average, and he is in there to literally crush left-handed pitching, and that's it. And he has not done that this year. In 20 games, 42 plate appearances so far, he's hitting 237 on base of 310, slugging under 400 at 395. That is not what you want from a guy who's supposed to be a lefty crusher. He's only got one walk to 12 strikeouts against lefties. That's not good enough. That's not good enough for a bat-first platoon guy who doesn't really have a position, brings negative defensive value, and is not crushing it. I'd rather see a lot more Eli White and Brad Miller in left field than him. Also, you kind of have to think about Andy Ibanez, who has not been doing super great. Defensively, he's he's brought a little bit of value at third base, first base, second base. He does play all those infield positions and actually plays them well, but offensively, his numbers have been really stinking bad. On base of 245, slugging 250. That's an OPS of 495. That's not great. He does have a home run this year, so doing a little bit better than Marcus Simeon. But again, there's going to be a decision that's going to have to be made because Sam Huff is going to be there as the backup catcher for now. I don't know that that's necessarily the best thing for him. Huff has looked much better than I anticipated. I was a little worried when they were calling Sam Huff up. I thought, okay, why don't you call up you know, Jordan Procession or Matt Watley, one of those like completely zero-bat defense only guys who are not really prospects but have the defensive capability to be a major league catcher at this point and you're not really worried about them getting every day at bats 
because you know they're probably not a part of your future unless something goes crazy right jordan procession has done really well offensively this year but again he's a 28 year old catcher in double a like it's just kind of it kind of is what it is and those numbers don't exactly mean a whole lot for him being at that level but I think it might be more helpful to Sam Huff to put him in AAA, keep getting him every day at bats, because Jonah Heim has been absolutely incredible to be the everyday Rangers catcher. At this point, he's got an OPS of 896. The numbers have come down from you know the absolute stratosphere where they were. He's got 75 plate appearances under his belt, four home runs, four doubles, on base in the 370s, slugging over 520. He has been fantastic. He's been one of the best catchers in baseball. Uh, according to framing, he is in the 96th percentile. He's not striking out. Top 4% of baseball if not striking out. Top you know, 13% of baseball in walk rate, whiff rate. Top 15% of baseball, not chasing. Swinging more at the first pitch and swinging more a little bit in general. He is the poster child of everything the Rangers' new offensive coaches have been trying to instill in their hitters, and it is working gangbusters. Last year, I didn't think he was capable of this. But I thought he was capable of better numbers than he was putting up. Like, his plate appearances didn't look like he was completely overmatched or anything. But his numbers were horrible. They were absolutely horrible offensively last year. The only thing that he did well was have 10 home runs. And defensively, he was bringing some value. He was splitting time with Jose Trevino. And I thought Trevino was going to have the edge at this point. But, you know, last year in 82 games, he had an OPS under 600, even though he was the guy who brought some power. He had 10 home runs and still had an OPS under 600. It was not great. But if you watched him, you thought, okay, like, his numbers shouldn't be this bad. He knows what he's doing up there. He's not completely overmatched. But this year, everything has just come together for him. He's already got more walks and strikeouts, 10 walks to 8 strikeouts. Like, every single number you kind of want to look at with this guy, it's great. And I'm starting to think that it, it won't be it won't be much of a concern that Mitch Garver isn't going to catch for a while. Like Jonah Heim defensively has been fantastic. We knew that. The framing, the arm, calling games, all of that has been really good. And the bat has been one of the best Rangers bats in this lineup. You like seeing him in there quite a bit. And I think he's going to continue to get a bunch of plate appearances. Now, if they're if they're wanting to see uh, I don't think Garver's gonna play much first base, but Honestly, that might be start to be a little bit of an option with how badly Nathaniel Lowe has been. He did have some pretty good plate appearances, including a uh, a single with the bases loaded that helped with that rally in the eighth inning in Tuesday night's game. He has had some improvement, but he's really not starting much against lefties. He is a bat-first guy whose bat has been bad. And there's a great offensive player in there. There really is. And defensively, he has not been as bad as he was last year. But again, if you're an offense-first guy and you start mashing baseball, he still only has one home run to this point, has fewer extra base hits than Marcus Simeon. Simeon has seven, all of those are doubles. Nathaniel Lowe has one home run and four doubles. But I don't know. I am starting to think that maybe Sam Huff does deserve to be here, but I think just getting every—he does deserve to be here, and he is doing well. He's hitting over—I think, where we go? Yeah, 400. He's got a slash line of, of 444, 444, 444. He doesn't have a walk, doesn't have an extra base hit at this point. I'm surprised that he has a stolen base before he has a home run because of how hard he's been hitting the baseball lately. But he's been putting together some pretty solid plate appearances. It's nice to see him do this at this point. But again, I think the Rangers are going to have a real decision on their hands with Nick Solak. I think he's going to have to be the first to go. It's a little, a little bit of a bummer, but... Again, 
he just isn't producing the way the way the Rangers need him to. Maybe the Rangers cut bait with Andy Ibanez because he is a couple years older. But again, Ibanez has more defensive value and versatility and just more value in general at this point than Nick Solak does. If Solak doesn't start hitting and fast, then his roster spot is going to be straight up gone when Mitch Garver comes back. And I don't know if he's going to be able to earn that roster spot back. I think that might have been more frustrating to me than Cole Calhoun struggling when they sent Willie down is that, hey, Nick Solak has been just as bad and uh, it's looking like he's not going to stay up much longer. And I don't know what the Rangers are going to do with him. I think he still has um, at least one option year left. If not, I don't think the Rangers should feel too... No, he definitely he definitely has an option year left. And even if he doesn't, I don't think the Rangers should feel too bad for cutting bait with him at this point. 2019 was fun. It was a fun 135 plate appearances when he looked like, oh, this guy might actually hit in the major leagues. But since then, it's been nothing but disappointment. OPS is in the 670 range now at 607 this year through 75 plate appearances. It's not an insignificant sample size. It's not good enough to be an offense first guy. And the Rangers are going to have to make a decision on him. And I think he is going to be the easy first cut to go. And, you know, it sucks. But that's the way baseball goes sometimes. And at this point, I wouldn't feel bad about it at all. But thank God for Jonah Heim looking as great as he does. I, I, I'm not going to be mad if, if Sam Huff stays up. Like I think it's still a fine decision. But again, I think maybe calling up one of those guys in procession um, or Matt Watley might be better long-term for Sam Huff, who still really could use some seasoning at the minor level. Because again, he is still only 24 years old. But this Rangers offense is cooking. Starting pitching is looking better. The the uh, bullpen has looked fantastic. We've got a final game of this series tonight in Dane Dunning and Shohei Otani going to be an absolute banger of a matchup than a weekend series in Houston. Hopefully the Rangers can continue to build on it, stretch their three-game winning streak into four games, and then go on the weekend and make it even more against these Astros. Thank y'all so much for listening to today's episode. In tomorrow's episode, I'm going to look a little bit more at Marcus Simeon and my concerns with him. Also talk about the Shohei versus Dane Dunning matchup. Thank y'all for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. For your next listen, make it Locked On MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him silly. He brings you his unique perspective on the Major League's past and present. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Thank y'all so much for listening, and until next time, don't forget to enjoy baseball.